Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. Everybody, hello. This is another edition of the podcast. We got Mr. Dan Smith joining us, who, if you don't know, is one of the elite poker players in the world. His resume speaks for itself. Also very generous fellow and a friend of mine who, no, I I always like to talk with Dan. He's a hard guy to get a hold of, but here we got him in the flesh. Dan from Las Vegas. How's it going? Things are good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, man. Me too. This is uh, this is great. So yeah, a lot to talk about. Let's uh, let's briefly. Why don't I let you give yourself um, background a bit to people that maybe aren't familiar with you? I think if anyone who's here for poker does know you, um, maybe discuss how your kind of journey. I think it's always interesting to see how it started. I, I read up. I know you're a New Jersey guy. You were, I believe, in school and dropped out. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and then kind of just got into poker at the the early stages of it all, but maybe talk to me about your beginnings and then we'll, we'll dive into uh, the, the present and future things, but let's, let's get people caught up on you. Sure. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, the first love of my life was chess. I found it when I was six years old and I just immediately had a knack for the game. Um, my sister was five years older on the first day I learned how the pieces move. I beat her. And then her day I was playing, I beat my dad who playing his whole life so my parents saw that i was gifted at this um it became my main thing for many years um competing in tournaments all over the u.s and then in my early teens it was clear that i wasn't going to be um i wasn't going to make it as a professional chess player there was a shortage of money in it you could just see that the good players weren't making a living at it and it was just starting to be painful that i just wasn't getting better anymore like uh Around this time, I found poker. I saw it on TV. I was playing with friends. Um, I immediately was hooked and fell in love with it. By my junior year in high school, I was making a bunch of money. Um, I think I had back-to-back $30,000 months playing 3-6 No Limit when I was a junior in high school. Jeez. Well, how old were you? So you were 16, 17 then? Yeah. Wow. Um, I did a year at Maryland, but my heart wasn't really in it. And I was paying 40000 a year tuition. It just, I didn't really think I was get, getting anything out of it. My grades were shit. Um, I ended up trying to do poker full time. I ended up moving in with Lucky Chewy and Steve Silverman, known as Zugwat. Um, Zugwat, I, he uh, he won that 100K first ever Alpha 8. I was three-handed with him. That was, uh, I, I haven't heard from him since. Is he still playing? Um he moved on to dfs for a little bit um and was hugely uh successful in that um and then he dfs was i think a pretty short-lived gold mine he has since moved on from there and now he's doing uh some other things and he just uh had a beautiful baby girl named avery wow congrats all, to all my friends are having babies and growing up Man, yeah, I just had a baby. It's it's that time. It's that thirty young thirties. How old are you again? I turned thirty this year. Okay, so yeah, um, yeah. Next next stages, but just sorry, I got sidetracked there. It's interesting. Uh, I believe my so my dad does research on everyone before, which is cool, and kind of sends me some notes. But I, somewhere you said that 
chess you kind of it was it was almost harder because in poker if you have a bad day you can say oh, i got unlucky or maybe it wasn't necessarily whatever but in chess a lot of time it's if someone beats you they just are better than you more so like so it's almost interesting with having a little luck component in poker is that true do you feel sometimes that it's like more easy to deal with poker on a bad day or a loss that maybe there was some stuff out of your control whereas chess it's like it was just so like you know meticulously someone's probably just better if they beat you I emphatically agree. Um, well, I'm taking your mis- words. This is my dad's research. So unless I misquote you, I want to give. Is that? Oh no, it was. Yeah, oh. it's interesting. Uh, it's very interesting to think about it like that because that that's a you know that you're playing strategy games and and chess. I'm not as familiar with. I just actually started playing a little bit again, and you know it's it's a very in- intense game. But it just like backgammon, chess, poker. There's very deep levels, right? So it's like at a fundamental level, it's like oh, this is how it works. But when you really dive deep, you can really go into some crazy work and solvers and and sit and stuff. So yeah, talk to me a little about the differences. I, I think there's something kind of nice that sometimes you could go as far as you can in a poker hand and not ever really know the true answer, you know? Like at the end of the day, you don't know whether your opponent's gonna be over bluffing or under bluffing and you could try to see what the solver says, but sometimes you just have to make the decision or you use a live tell or whatever. Um, I think the idea that you just go out and try your best and whatever happens, happens, is you're a little bit more removed from the results when chess to me was very much about going out and winning. Um, I was able to get back into the game a little bit in the last couple of years where it's just like enjoying the process. But for many years, it wasn't about the enjoyment. I did it because I was good at it and I love to compete. Um, losing would be very painful. And in fact, losing would hurt more than winning would feel good, which was an indicator that maybe it was time to move on to something else like it for me to make the next jump in chess would have been thousands of hours and, and to just give us a little idea what that was like what's the landscape like then and maybe even now if you have an idea in chess so you were you were competing for money at that point or you were just kind of coming up and you were younger so there wasn't really money at stake like what was what was the top prize in chess at the time you were playing at your highest level um like a world series main event for example like a comparative was it well, so there are ratings in chess where like um you win it if you win a game, you go up. If you lose a game, you go down. And it accounts for your strength of opponent. So you, they have tournaments that are for money um, based on people who are within a few hundred rating points. So the game should all be pretty competitive. As a improving junior, like kids get better much quicker than adults because they're just learning so much so fast. Um, so your rating is often not as high as your strength. So kids often do a pretty good job of taking out some prizes along the way. There are prizes even at like not very strong level chess players where you could win 10 or 20 grand in a tournament. Um, I, my, there was a couple hundred dollar entry fee in some of these tournaments. And sometimes you have to travel and go hotels. So you could play in tournaments with kids where prizes are for, like recognition or you get trophies or whatever. And just, you could say that you were like the eighth grade champion, but I was always encouraged to play with the adults and play for money. Um, I don't remember biggest wins, but I've like, when I was like 12 years old, I definitely won thousand dollars multiple times. Right. Um, so, uh, nothing like crazy stakes, but it got to the idea of playing for, uh, for money. And I actually found playing those games 
more stressful than I do playing like super high rollers. I'd be 12 years old and I have a big match and I would like go puke before the game because I was so nervous. It's, it's crazy. I'm flashing over, which I, you probably you can't see unless you have it pulled up on the side. But I'm just scrolling through your Hendon mob, um, and it's got to feel kind of funny to sit there and talk about this chess and playing for thousands of dollars, or like you know the, the traveling for hundred dollar tournaments, and then having almost thirty million dollars in live tournament earnings. Also interesting to note, which I just noticed right now, which is kind of crazy. Your first ever tournament you played, you took first place, or well, your first ever cash. Maybe it wasn't the first one you ever stepped foot in, but maybe. Talk to me about that. I mean, and talk about getting hooked or the tournament bug. I mean, your first ever cash is over. It's just over six figures. It's first place. That's kind of, that's just too clean, Dan. You just live too clean. What happened there? Um, I'm going to go back a few months before then. It was, um, I, so at my first ever live tournament, I actually, I had taken my dad to come with me. I satellited into the PCA Bahamas and he ended up passing away and having a heart attack, which was super traumatic oh my um jeez that was in 2008 then uh 2008 yeah wow because um well i'm gonna try to i ended up going broke kind of shortly after that um i got scammed i like i had ten thousand dollars to pay for tuition i had a line i had set up a uh swap for online for live and the dude just scammed me um so I couldn't pay for tuition, which is part of the reason I dropped out. Wow. Uh, I was out of money. I decided to get, I, I had a, uh, I had made Timex a bunch of money when he had backed me and I explained my situation. He loaned me 4K on ultimate bet, rather absolute poker. And I just played one, two, and then two, four, and I won 30 grand that month. And then I started playing tournaments. I'd spun it up, um, won the hundred rebuy the next month, back when that was like a big tournament. And then, uh, so then I had some money and say, okay, I need a place to live. Uh, me, Chewy, Zugwat, um, and Randall Flowers all got a beach house in the Jersey Shore. Um, I had promised them that I would drive them to Turningstone because I was uh, I had a car or something like that. This is two thousand eight. Two thousand eight summer. Okay. So I just finished what would have been uh, my freshman year. Okay. I didn't want to go to the tournament because it was like a five hour drive, but I promised them I would drive. So. I did it. Go to this tournament, play a $1,500 tournament with 100% of myself, cash it for, I uh, win it for 100K, no deals, no swaps. Um, all of a sudden, I'm playing high stakes poker. And then by fall of that year, I'm traveling to Europe, playing uh, the high roller scene and playing everything. And I mostly have been doing that ever since. 250 entrants, I'm looking at that. That was at Turning Stone? It was at Turning Stone. I've actually um, been there once. It was a poker tour. Okay. It was televised. Um, I was wearing a Jabba Chamberlain jersey, and I, I think it was a red Yankee hat. I, I love that hat. I wore it for years. I remember that. Um, I remember that hat, actually. I I, I, I want to say you even wore it. There, the thing I remember most about you and your poker the, uh, just accomplishments, and this was I must have been 2012 or 13. I remember being in Monaco, and I was in a tournament with you, and you – I remember I bubbled the final table. I lost the flip, ace king to nines, and and then I saw you win the tournament. And then I remember like two days, like the, the three days later, you had taken first, first, and first in like three tournaments in Monaco, which is probably the sickest like three day or four day or five day run in the history of poker. I mean, I don't, and they weren't like twenty person fields. I, I got, we're gonna have to go find it and look at it. But I mean, I, I, that to me, I still remember to this day is like the craziest. I, 
I mean, it's like almost, it's gotta be like, what are the odds? It's gotta be like a, a million to one or more. I mean, I don't know. Like, so anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just, I so, know oh, it's totally yeah, cool. That, that, um, I want to talk about that as well. But so go, so, so you hit this tournament, you go on a, a run, you're now traveling the world playing high stakes. I see yeah, your next cash was in, um, EPP Barcelona. And then you have another, some big scores, but sorry, sorry to detrain your thought. I just thought that no, it's totally know. cool. Yeah. Uh, it's also fun to reminisce. I haven't thought back of these times in a while and it's easy to forget how crazy the whole thing is. Um, so then by like the fall of that year, I probably had like a 300K bankroll up from like $0 in maybe March. Um, I remember there was a 10K pound tournament when the pound was like 1.8 to one. I didn't sell any action to it. because I just remember thinking my edges were too big. So I played an 18K tournament with 100% of myself. Uh, no, I had a few swaps. So let's say I had like 80% of myself. Um, didn't even make the annies at those days. I was so spewy and whatever. Uh, I had a rough go at the live tournaments. I actually went O for all of 2009 cashing them. Um, the, the live poker scene wasn't really treating me all that well up until Black Friday. Uh, around Black Friday, it was really a good mo- given I had to leave the country to pursue my job. It was a great motivation to get more serious. Um, I also just has started having a little bit of success, started getting confident. And like we were saying before, 2012 was when everything caught fire. I opened the year by winning the Aussie Millions 100K, and I had a nice piece of that. And then Monte Carlo, and then Barcelona later that year. Um, and at that point, I have been a reg in the biggest games ever since. It, so that would that would you say that I mean well obviously winning that tournament is like those are the kind of stories I love too where it's like oh I wasn't gonna go or it was like some crazy you know drove or last second and then you end up butterfly affecting and just kind of parlaying and going from there because if you don't win that tournament or you don't play that tournament you don't go that day things are different your trajectory is different you're not playing you maybe don't travel to Europe you don't do these other things and I mean so what would you say was a pivotal was it both of those moments are two of the bigger ones just in terms of stakes and jumping and, and trajectory, or was there any other moments that stand out to you in tournaments? I think it's hard to speculate because also maybe I would have spent more time playing online. Like I kind of think that I would have had moderate levels of success, even without any of these scores. Like given I was able to win 30 K a month playing like two, four online, was going to be able to like pad a bankroll and keep gambling in some of these good spots. Um, though actually when I was in, I believe London that year, this is the only time I've ever done this, but I saw, I ran into Isaac Haxton. Uh, I told him like, Hey, I recognize you from the internet. Uh, I'm Dan King, Dan. We've spoken like a little bit. Um, we spoke a little poker that week. Um, like a year, a bit late, and then over years ended up becoming friends. And for quite a while, he was the person I talked poker with every day. Um, one of the best poker minds of all time. So the fact that I was able to bounce ideas off of a guy like that, um, I think was hugely uh, pivotal in me going from like one of the tournament players to one of the best. So, in how you rate poker and learning and all that, so give me a little bit of. So I remember similar times. I guess also just want to quickly. Were you at University of Maryland while Jungman was there? Is that the same era or no? Was he both after you or before you? I think he was at the University. I of only did one semester at Maryland, and it was 
2007 in the fall. And I, I don't think it was, you know what? It wasn't the same time as Jungle Man because I met like the Maryland poker scene and there actually were quite a few like Tony Gregg, one of the all-time greats, Greg Merson, Steve Silverman. Um, yeah, Jesse Chinney might have been. Are you, those guys um, Those guys were Maryland. I don't know if they went to the University of Maryland. I think they were a couple years older. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely a Maryland been, poker scene. There's some good There's some good players out of that region. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Were, were people, did they know you? Like, were you, was it different? Because I remember my college experience, and I was playing 25 cent 50, and then freshman year of college, one, two, two, four, three, six, maybe online maximum. Um, but those were like the golden times, obviously. But was it just like, so were you at that level in college? Was it crazy? Did people know you were like crushing poker and like the, your friends and stuff that played poker kind of knew about it? I mean, because it was what, party the poker? poker? group did a bit. Um, my friends were aware of it partially just because I was like a cocky little shit who well. loved to talk about how big I was going to, it was going to make it. And I'm like, <laughs> um, but I remember there was a point when I was in my freshman dorm, I was for tabling 25, 50 PLO and I had no business doing it, but <laughs> I, I thought I was good. Yeah. And I, I had like 45 K on four tables and I had a friend just like walk into my dorm and he sees it and he sees that it's real money and that it was just like a, and like I kind of sheepishly was like, like, yeah, but I'm in for 30k, but still, then it's just like, oh my goodness, this is some like outrageously high stakes. Yeah, that it, it, it that those times are just they were just incredible. Um, I mean, it is fun too. It's just it for me. I think poker. The, one of the greatest things is the journey, the traveling, the people that you meet with poker. Um, what are your thoughts right now? on the landscape of poker it seems in my opinion live poker is booming tournament series are up overall like the even the smaller you know it seems like it's going well but then you know online's a pretty big issue um sports isn't the sports passing at a federal level seems like good for gaming in general i know you're you were big into fantasy um kind of kind of hitting a lot of points here but what are, what are your overall thoughts on poker and um where you see it going and and just you know there's obviously solvers there's also there's the the party poker. I, I'm biased. You know, I love party poker. I love what Rob Young's doing. They got rid of the HUDs yesterday. The hand history, some controversy if that's going to be a problem or not, um, as well as new alias names and all that. So there's a lot of change there. And I don't know. I mean, it just seems like online poker is dying. The cash game scene, it's almost non-existent. Uh, what are your thoughts on the live and online landscape, uh, live and online for, for poker currently? And how do you feel about it all? Because I'm very curious on... You seem, you know, you know a lot of the top players, top minds, and you and you guys talk a lot about it. I'm sure. Where do you think it's going, and where is it right now? I think if you are a very big poker talent with a bankroll to withstand the swings, it is one of the best times ever to be a professional poker player. Um, if you if you wanted to, you could probably play, I don't know, seven million in buy-ins, you know, and use whatever ROI estimate you want to. That's a lot of money. Right. Um, the games are tough where you do have to compete with the best. But then also some of these high stakes tournaments are getting a bunch of non elite players to enter as well. Um, tournament scene seems to be great. Um, I think if you are a player with not a particularly large bankroll or you are not able to compete at a high level, uh, and you want to be making regular income to pay the bills, I would think it's very challenging. Um, even like some of these 10, 20 games live, they're, 
they don't seem to be super juicy. Like you're playing with guys who formerly were playing much bigger. Um, I, I'm not super in the know because I mostly only get to play the biggest games. But I think if you are playing very big, it's a great, great time to be a professional. And if you are not at the high level, I can see it being pretty challenging. Like especially a lot of the high EV spots, there are these great tournaments. But even if you like you could like the party poker ten thousand dollar or five thousand dollar five million guarantee huge EV, but you're probably not going to win, you know. So I think a lot of your EV comes from spots like that. When if you're trying to pay the bills, it's challenging. But what and what? Okay, well, so we'll cover our online next. But what do you think about though, like the fact that the numbers are up like across the board? They got these. WSOP circuits, party poker has a really, you know, arguably the best series going. There's the EPTs, there's these different stops, and and then at the World Series, for example, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of tournaments going, and there's a lot of secondary series going. The Venetians, the other, there just seems to be. I mean, multi tournaments are tough. Variance. You're talking you know, again, it's a different game than you're used to because you're playing small field, big buy-ins, and it's a little easier to calculate ROI and and understand. Uh, how it's going to shake out but just talk about that scene though do you think it's a good time to be a live tournament grinder and then also like the cash games though you're talking 10 20 but it seems like one two two five five ten and stuff from what i can tell especially during the summer in vegas and whatnot or there's certain hot pockets in the country houston uh la um hard rock in miami um there's places it seems like the games are pretty good i mean poker seems to be getting more popular overall i think the problem is online is like drying up and it's been it's getting tougher and and that so i just seems like though the ecology of poker is in my opinion there's it's alive and well but how do you like do you feel do you see that do you feel that or you think it's the existence of poker like chess kind of died right or there was no like it just didn't really work or backgammon solved and it sort of just you know there was a scene in that i would say chess is still doing quite well that sort of thing like not to go on a tangent but like yeah. i mean players now are better than at any point in history and like game um but it's just like a thing where you have to be like top 10 in the world to make a, a nice living something like that is there, is there sponsorships in chess is there deals is it like as i saw actually on twitch there, there's like a huge twitch channel for for um chess like it was crazy big viewership I think the I think the chess streaming world is doing quite well. People seem to love it, uh, especially like it's a great way to learn. Um, I have almost never watched anyone, so that's not a world I really am too in the know about. Right. Um, and also, I wouldn't consider myself a particularly good resource about like what the poker economy is. I'm mostly just trying to pick out what tournaments and stuff I want to play. Yeah. So I. Like the state of like two five games. <laughs> true. I really uh, true. Um, true. All right. Well, let, let's ask you about online then, because that's more interesting. What do you, What are your thoughts on the you probably catch win? That are, are you playing online really? Do you ever do you go and play some of these big series that Party has or other sites that do these you know massive? Do you go away ever anymore uh, and play like a week or two during these series? Um, I do occasionally. I don't prioritize it. Um, I've been playing a bit this year online um i've been playing a little bit on gg um i'm not not super in the know about like what the online scope is like but i think it is just like a great great way to get practice um i think if you are a very high level poker player you could still get like five uh, five figures and buy-ins in a day pretty easily um 
I would think the online tournament scene is probably a decent way to make money, but right. uh, I, I am fortunate that like I had a few very big years where I don't have to especially worry about like smoothing out variants. I can just chase EV and gamble big and like these super high rollers and that sort of thing. Right. What what are what are you a HUD guy online or have you been or what are you what are your thoughts on the party no HUD situation? I'm I haven't talked with you about this at all. I'm curious because I, I just I'm just do you think that's a good thing? Did you use HUDs when you played? Do you like them? Do you think they're so uh, I moved out of Toronto maybe four three or four years ago, and that's when I mostly had stopped playing online poker. Um, I moved to Vegas and California and like a little all over. Um, when I was a regular player uh, online, definitely used a HUD. Um, I think people very much overestimate the relevance of using HUDs. Um, the information is still just really hard to use and implement and all that. Um, and not to get too far into a topic I'm not especially informed about, but I always kind of thought like the people really complaining about HUDs, I think the issue isn't the HUD. I think it's just other players are better than them. Um, right. It's an easy way to make a, a point or an argument written. You know, I, I saw yesterday because Party for the first time took it away and I was pulled up a Kevin Martin stream and he ended up winning a tournament, like a $200 buy in. But it looked it, it looks better from if you if you think about the content right now in poker, which is important with YouTube videos, with Twitch streaming. When you go on there and you see, you know, like a beautiful mind on the screen with like 400 numbers and you're a wreck, it is a little intimidating. And, you know, are people really using it that well? Like, I don't, I like it, but it's more about big blinds to me. And party has the feature where you just click and it shows you the big blinds versus the chips. And it's like, that's that's the most important thing. Like other than that, like, yeah, it's like, are you really going to use this? You know, it's so anyway, I I don't want to go too deep in it. Just curious. I also don't think it's that crazy of a thing. Like, I think it could actually be better overall. And if it, it just levels a playing field, you get an argument about, well, maybe people are using some way to get around it or running some other scripts and crazy shit. Like if someone could get around it and they're using it and no one else has it, that would be an issue. But party seems pretty confident they can um, stop it. But anyway, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to waste the it. biggest thing for a poker site is if you can get, um, if you can get some, if you get a few VIPs, like non elite players, to play, you'll have games like um, the GG poker model of just ha- like it. I would say it's largely one to 10K rebuys that with fast structures. If you get a couple not of the best players, those games are going to run all day. Um, right. Yeah, it's true. There is, that's that's the bottom line. So, yeah, no, I don't want to I don't want to spend I don't want to spend too much time on all that stuff because I, I do. You know, like you said, it's not your specialty. And I want to enjoy our take advantage of this time with you. So let's uh, let me jump back quickly before we forget. Talk about that three first place in Monaco. What they were they were 100 person, 175 and 98 person fields, 101, 98. Uh, tell me about that run. I mean, that has to feel good, right? That's something that's just almost impossible. You probably uh, you're like a you strike me as like a the math guy. Like, I feel like you might have plugged it in or something. Like, could you even guess what the odds of winning three tournaments are in a row there? I mean, it wasn't even in a week. It was in a row. Like, what happened there? I mean, that's just insane. That blew my mind. Well, if it was just those three tournaments, um, I'm just going to pretend they were all 200-player tournaments and say I'm a little better than average. So let's say I'm like 125 to 1 to win. If you multiply those three numbers together, it's like 1.9 million. Needed to cheat on the phone, but... um, Damn. (laughs) 
I also I chopped one of them heads I, up. I did see that, and he got more money. That was Toby. I just was looking. I think, or no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Toby Lewis, very good player. Great player. Um, he was super. It was a wild run. I would say. I would say like sometime in between like the 2012 to 2014 is probably when I had like my biggest edge on tournaments relative to the field. It was before the solvers days and like a lot of the ways that you study were like pen and paper. So I think me and Ike just like with our like strategies that we were talking up, some of it was doing well and some of the exploits I was doing were just like pretty wild and working out. Um, those three tournaments were insane and fun. Um, not super well known, but for the second of the three five Ks, um, I it was a two day tournament. I was having a hard time sleeping on day uh, on that trip with jet lag, so I decided I was going to give up coffee. But I was trying to order chamomile tea in a Monaco, and I ordered a different tea, so I ended up that was very caffeinated. So I had ten pots of this tea, so I basically had. 10 times the amount of caffeine than I, instead of having zero, I was, uh, so then that night I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hang out and drink red wine all night until I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> Drank all night with Ike and Dean eggs was uh, Scott Seaver. We had a wild time. I just stayed up the entire night, came back for day two, won the tournament without sleeping. Wow. That's uh man. That's incredible. Yeah. And they were all five K's, which is kind of, that's kind of cool too, man. That, that's a crazy week. Um, let's bounce ahead before we cover other stuff too. You, so you have you have several numerous one million dollar scores. Let's go to some of the recent ones and some of the one drop stuff. One hundred eleven k one drop. You score for three million. You take second. Was that to uh, me, Fedor, and Korai chopped it three ways. Okay, and it showed. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was in the. So I got like four hundred k more than the uh, handed mop thing. We we chopped it and we played for three hundred, and Fedor ended up winning the bracelet. Do you want to point out I was in there? I got 18th. Cash that sucker. That was a fun tournament. That got a good turnout. 183 entries. Um, yeah, that was uh, man. That was sick. That was that was very very sick. That was in the middle of the Fedor, uh, you know, just world domination tour. Um, that's right that's... before that tournament. I was three handed in the 25k PLO. We ended for the night, and I was begging my opponents to let me. Uh, let us postpone the tournament so I could hop into the one drop. I'm like, guys, it's huge value. I'll sell you each 20%. Let me just get in there. And they said, no, I ended up losing an all in early in the, ne the next day. Um, so I ended up running to the registration line. Well, I technically missed it by a few minutes. They got me in. I went on a huge run. And I ended as massive chip leader from buying in with like 20 blinds. So it was a really sick run. Wow. Uh, even, yeah. uh, even a potential, Potential uh, little uh, members members bounce roll there, getting in to get in there. That that's uh, yeah. that's crazy, man. You got some wild butter. I love this stuff. I like I love um, statistics and and stories and all this stuff. So you got we we might have to do a separate podcast just for like story stuff on this stuff because these are these are crazy uh, crazy swings, man. Crazy. That was probably my craziest summer. Uh, I went from chip leader of the super high roller bowl with like eleven left to bubbling and at that time it was like one of the biggest tournaments ever that was so this was yeah 2016 so yeah i mean with all these big scores and results and great great outcomes there are like stuff like that there's a lot of heartache and tell me a little bit about how you deal with some of that like obviously winning's fun and easy but like have you ever has there been some tournaments or buy-ins i mean because you're playing 300ks 500ks million dollar are you the you know what what you played the you played the one million dollar one drop 
Yeah, I got third last year. Okay, so yeah, we'll cover that next. So you're playing million dollars. Talk to me about on one of those, like what's the biggest buy-in you haven't cashed then? You did not, did you, you've cashed every one, you've played one one million or two? I've played two one millions. Uh, I didn't cash in it. Um, so how, tell me that, talk us through that. Cause like the easy King Dan, you know, just doing it up, getting it done. Talk to me a little about adversity. How do you deal with something like that? Cause you know, in those type of tournaments, I would imagine it's, there's some you're selling some there's there's some there's some dealing with that because it's real money you know i mean but then again you're you're i guess you look at it like an roi you're net net positive people that are maybe buying some pieces as well are positive overall with you it seems like it has to be the case so i guess but is it it can't feel like i'm trying to imagine getting knocked out of a million dollar buying i busted 100ks and same thing i'm selling pieces and have some swaps and whatever but a million dollars giving to the cage and then when you actually walk out of that room like Tell me a little bit about that, how that feels. Cause that, that's gotta be, I mean, it's gotta be a crazy feeling. And well, of course the numbers are a bit inflated because all of the pros have investors. Yeah. Um, yeah. To play a $1 million tournament responsibly, let's say you would need $20 million. Okay. And that's- Not that's that being, responsibly either. That's being very aggressive. Right. Um, Kelly Criterion, probably not in line there. For sure. Um, I kind of do have this feeling of once you buy into the tournament, uh, it's out of your control and all you can do is make good decisions and try to play your best. Um, I find it a little, or I haven't been playing main events the last few years, but I used to find it more, more, uh, the feeling was more real when I would go play like a main event turn, uh, or like a big field tournament. And then all of a sudden you get like, from a 600 player field to the final 30, all of a sudden it's like, okay, these are huge numbers. I have all of myself. Um, this is wild. And then you get emotionally invested for doing it for so many days. Um, right. I blogged about this before, but I remember having, I played the 300 K super high roller bowl. I was chip lead. Things were going great. I was gambling big on myself. Um, I was like really crushing the table and all just things are going great. And then I bubble um, and I tried to think what would be different. Um, and it was just one of those things where I didn't know what to do. Like I can, I was super gutted. I could, like, could barely get off the couch. I didn't know if I need caffeine. I wasn't sure if I was just go get fucked up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I took, I did a yoga class and I was meditating afterwards. And then I just kind of had the realization of like, let's just pretend I had won. What would be different? So maybe I put up 5% of my net worth. If I had won the tournament, um, maybe I would have got another 40% and then I pay taxes. So I would have like 25% more money than I did at that moment. And then I had the realization, nothing really would be different. Like money wasn't a limiting factor for anything I was trying to do. It would be cushy and it'd be fun, but nothing would be a change. And then I realized that, huh, I was able to take like going from like the best possible result to the worst possible result in the biggest tournament of the year nothing would change about my life. Um, that is pretty wonderful that I'm at a point where I am like impervious to, to the swings. Um, it seemed like a great shift in perspective. I felt wonderful. And that summer I ended up having my biggest summer ever. Um, I remember somebody came up to me like later that week when I was going to play like 100, 200 and they were like shocked. I was able to come back and grind. And I was like, I don't know, what am I supposed to be doing? Right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's meant it's I mean it's again, my dad always taught me it's not about what happens, how you react to what happens and I think that is something easier said than done, but I think some of the most the strongest players, the strongest um 
you know, the, the most, uh, the most, resi- it's about resiliency, you know, who's resilient, who can bounce back, who can turn a negative into a positive and, and be able to do it quickly. Cause everyone, everyone copes differently. Are you, did this, did that cut out? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I think I'm looking on the stream. It, it looks says like off air. Oh, Wait, shit. I don't know if it, it might've popped off for a sec here. Um, fuck. It's weird. Cause I'm on here. I have a good connection. I guess it would be my connection, not yours. Uh, although I have very good connection. Let me see. My, my guy is Vadrin. He is on vacation, but he was there setting us up. Let me just see here. Um, it bugged for a sec. It's on. All right. I refresh it. Refresh. Let's see. Back now. Okay. All right. Still online. Sorry about that. Yeah. So like we we're saying, dealing with diversity in those type of moments, it's easier said than done, but that's uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes it seems like that's important to have coping mechanisms or, or ways to sort of put things in perspective. Sounds like you do that. I also read that you I try to do that. There are totally times when it does take a toll on me. Um, I played a crazy hand in the super high roller bowl this year, which was streamed where I just made, I played a hand versus Negranu. Um, I made a really thin river value raise because I just like playing through the hand in my head. I just, I decided that I thought it was really likely he had a worse value hand. I decided to go with it. And then he had the obvious super hand that it looks like. I remember this hand actually. I remember seeing a clip on this. Yeah. Um, and it was like a hand like that for a couple nights. It was, it was just really weighing on me about like, if I just blown it in one of the biggest tournaments and it's not useful to be replaying it over and over again after the fact but it was just like it was just weighing on me um there are and like the zen thing would just be do sometimes you may play sometimes you're right sometimes you're wrong but it was it was just hard um and just generally that feeling of busting a tournament if you're not thrilled with how you played i never know what to do with myself for that immediate thing my, my initial urge is just to like i need to indulge in all the vices yeah it's uh it's it is it's i i see my amelia my wife who you know from um, burning man is in the chat asking you saying hello and also asking you what is the best way to How learn to... best way to learn poker dan give us give us that from amelia that's her uh, question sure interrupt the chat um, if you're currently wanting to learn like give take my wife take someone that's that's just like wants to learn not for a living, but they want to get better. What would you say is like a way they could just kind of get like caught up to where they could understand poker? I think the first step would just be to put in some hand, like play either with your friends or online and just put in a few hands. Then once you put in some reps, you kind of have an idea of how it is. Um, I would say it's really important to make sure you're having fun with it as like the primary thing. Play small enough that the losses won't really bother you. And if you are playing like a, Ten dollar game, and you you're taking the worst of it. That's just like relatively cheap entertainment. Um, and then as you're playing, huh? I have a some spots I was a little unsure about. And then I I think a good way to learn at anything is to have someone who's a little better than you that you could discuss about it. And you don't want them to be so good that they say is gospel, but you want to be able to have like a little bit of a back and forth. Okay. But and I, yeah. That- that makes and sense. And you know what? I'm sure there are great resources. I would say like watching these streams or videos would be a fine way to learn. But if you like playing, go out and play if it's fun and then go from there. Okay. That's, there it is. I, I always say I, it'd be fun to put like wives, girlfriends or like a girls group and have them play, you know, maybe they, they could get it and not talk more. Now, I'll tell you the one thing that's gotten much better, but Amelia and my 
self it would be very it was the worst thing for me would be busting a tournament live or somewhere and being on a trip at let's say let's take peace you know the bahamas or somewhere and then like going home and having to like say i busted and then having someone who doesn't really understand poker talk to you and be like oh like <laughs> but he, you know like you lose aces all in pre-flop or something and then they're like well you know maybe you could have done something differently or you know like or whatever or like or was your mind right where you like relaxed and like start getting into the spiritual side of stuff and the like, last thing you want to do is hear that but that's always kind of tricky when someone doesn't really get the fun the, how it exactly works and you have to explain but um yeah that's great advice guys and there is ways to learn i want to before we backtrack again one more time what were you doing and what would you say because i was just playing poker when i was in college same exact timeline i was 15 16 playing high school 25 cent 50 i was beating the games but i had really it was like gifting money almost right like just playing snug and playing sort of like common sense game theory stuff if you were good with games you were gonna win but were you what was what were you doing that was at that time because there wasn't PL solver there wasn't all these other tools really like what what do you think separated you i guess maybe the chess the gaming understanding being highly intelligent is, is helps but to beat the games at the highest level from the beginning like yourself timex lucky chewy um Zogwa, i wasn't guys, beating the biggest games from the get-go or beating um, your games the, the games you were playing a two, while four, three, before six. I broke through to high stakes um, or just say at the two four three six level or five ten whatever when you were playing online was there stuff was there information I mean was there what were you what was your poker learning I mean, at two that plus point? two was a great resource um, people would be open about it I was in like an IRC chat where we would bounce hands off of each other and I would say like a pivotal thing was just having some people to discuss strategies with um Having a good group of people that you could talk poker with, I would say, was it. You know what? It probably still is pivotal. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also being able to um, be honest with yourself and, and, and be open to ideas. Because I think that's one thing in poker. It's very obviously super ego driven, super stubborn. And when you can let down your guard and realize that there's ways that probably you're not doing correctly or open to other ideas instead of coming from a place like no like i'm right this is the best like someone says something and you're like not sure you don't get why to be able to like think about it take that for what it's worth and and i think that's also you know there's a lot of there's certain friends i can't talk poker with because they're just so stubborn they're like they're they just think they're right no matter what um so i think that i mean it sounds like obviously in that group that's probably a universal theme you guys are open ideas and thinking at things and talking about it and looking at it and admitting or saying, okay, you know what? I was stuck on this. I mean, there's probably been, uh, it, there's been, I'm sure a time where you, you play poker a long time, but even you're always learning, right? Like there might be a spot a year ago or six months ago that now is like, holy shit, I'd never thought about that. Or I wasn't doing correctly or big exploit evolving very quickly. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's that 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 is also something I was talking to Rainer Kempi in Rio recently. He was saying that as well. I mean, that just like population tendencies, you know, stuff that, that that just seems so robotic or people are doing online, for example, in MTTs that is not right or like you have to just be aware of what the current situation is and then make exploits because what is technically right. I mean, it could just change or what you're how to counter it can can be changing. That's what's cool about poker is it is kind of, you can be working hard and up to speed and the people that are doing the most work and putting the time in are going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to have a nice advantage. So you know, I think that's uh that's really interesting to hear. And would you say your group is how many guys you have like a core of like four or five? I mean, big guys that you um, really talk with. It has changed a lot over time. Um, like Steve doesn't play poker anymore. Right. Um, um, and it also just like study habits are different. The, 
addition of solvers really has changed the landscape a lot where there is a bit less guesswork. Um, I don't talk poker with that many people these days, but um, someone who I've gotten to know very well over the last couple of years is Stephen Chidwick. Uh, he would stay at my apartment. Um, and like, this was before he started winning. And he was just like, man, this guy plays good. He just never seems to do well in high rollers. So he would, uh, he and Marine would stay at my place during these tournaments. We'd talk, we'd study, and then sometime along the way, he started going on like a crazy tear. Um, and then, did you see that Bluff Magazine thing where they ranked like the best players and that sort of thing? No, I didn't. He was know. universally the number one ranked player. So, uh, more good fortune that like a person that I was talking like a ton of poker with, um, one of the best. Um, right. But yeah, it's like a pretty small group that I talk with some regularity and then I'm not afraid to just and just run it by somebody even if we're not especially, especially close with them. Awesome. All right. Well, Dan, I want to talk last tournament specifically, and then let's get into some fantasy talk. I want to also talk about your charity, uh, whatnot. We're already at an hour. I do want to get, there's a lot of questions for you as well. So let's just real quickly run through this $1 million buy-in. So you played two of these and you cashed this one for $4 million, So you got a nice ROI. And Justin Bonomo, you know, in my mind, Bonomo, Fedor, and Dan Smith, or uh, well, you're Dan Smith, and Dan Coleman probably have like the three greatest heater run or, or result wise maybe you could throw another name or two in that that high roller scene that have just been on like jason coon it's gotten very hot and done well i mean ike ike definitely one of the best in the game um you know he actually i think also ran kind of poorly in a lot of spots or historically hasn't had the greatest results in some of those and he's got i saw he won he's been doing it seems like he's having some really big results now but definitely regarded as one of the game's best would you who else would you put in that category bonomo's year last year fedor's run um anyone else that you would say is like impressively like you where you're just like holy shit like they just can't be stopped i'm kind of inclined to think that bonomo's run was like in a league of its own right. um right you trying think, to think i guess his yeah i saw some like list last year where if you list him with like sports he was like in the top 100 or top 50 or 60 of like earners last year of like that's uh, rad of uh it had like you know he was literally like 67 in the world in earnings last year in terms of uh contracts or deals um which is pretty cool um but yeah it just seemed like he couldn't be missed nothing he could do was wrong and just won everything but um yeah that was uh yeah, those guys. I, I, and is there in particular why? Just because it was just how fast and impressive and the magnitude and the this, the he was winning literally I mean, the, the biggest buy-ins ever. What did he catch for like twenty million, right? Twenty seven million really or something. Any um, just winning like so many tournaments in a row. Um, I would have to have that as number one. And Fedor's was pretty pretty remarkable as well. Um, I kind of think those two are really in a league of their own like even compared to my own run just like whole nother level right well let, let, for sure those are i mean it's pretty it is crazy and there, there, talk to me about that run you were on talk to me about this 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 uh four million dollar score but talk to me a little bit about confidence and with that because it does seem and this is something dan coleman um also a lot of a lot of good poker players named dan i'm just realizing jungle man it's, you there's a it's, it might be the most popular it's gotta be the best name in poker i think there was competition Phil. between Phil's pretty Phil's in a while and i think dan has overtaken it and now maybe there's there's steven chidwick steve o'dwyer i think there's a few 
There's a Some Steve Strong too. Steve's. Steve's, yeah, I'd say you're on the podium easy, maybe number one has to be, but yeah, like yeah, you could throw some, the, the Ivy Helmuth old school, they got the old school covered for sure. Um, but yeah, that's, it's a, uh, talk to you a little about confidence. Cause that was something Dan Coleman, who's a good friend of mine was telling me, you know, when he, on that run, when he was just winning everything and do it, people get scared. They start folding the big blind to single opens. You know, they just don't want to play with you. They feel like you're, you're a sort, you're in the matrix. Like you can see through them. Do you feel that sort of, even on the high roller scene, do you kind of feel everyone's obviously very confident and whatnot but like when you go on those type of runs do you do you, does the energy different personally but also do you feel it versus opponents that they maybe respect you or start treating you a little differently i think it's really like the live element of these tournaments i think is easy to overlook in the solver days but it's still very much people playing face to face looking at each other making moves like you get to make decisions um and sometimes you have to make plays that you're not super confident in. And I could totally see that being a time when you're more inclined to like give off weakness. If you're not sure that you're making a good play, if you have like the obvious nut blocker and it's like a slam dunk bluff, it's probably a little easier to maintain your composure. Um, I could totally see when you were confident, not afraid to look silly, uh, that sort of thing. And then if you have confidence in your moves, great things could happen. Right. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So that, that there is a little bit of a thing where if you have a bunch of people playing big, like someone has to be going on the runs. But I am also generally a believer of like the people going on these big runs te- do tend to be some of the biggest winners. Like uh, I played with Fedor when he won the A Cop in Macau. And it was mostly just me and him and a bunch of like weaker, weaker players. And just it would be every time he'd be in a pot, I'd be like, you know what? This seems like a, huh, this guy looks a little weak. It seems like an okay time to go for it. Like I would definitely consider it if I had like good blockers. And it seemed like he just went for it every time. And he was not, he was like running wild and like had, I think he had a good idea of what he can get away with. Um, and the fact that he was Fedor going on that run, I think did have uh, a lot of help on it. Yeah, Fedor, Fedor, who's supposedly retired, he's actually my next guest on the podcast as well. So we're uh, that will uh, it'll be fun to talk about a little bit of this. This three-handed, I, there was a controversial hand here, wasn't there? Like an all-in, a card was exposed. Um, I think there Fedor, was a shove. Um, you should definitely link to the video. It's it was an, it's something to behold. But um, I, I think it was Byron. He shoved first to act five-handed, or maybe uh, they were. Let's see. It was yeah, it must have been five-handed or six because I remember Byron was in the hand and he got fifth. Okay, so Byron shoves. Fedor uh, uh, calls effectively like thirty percent of stacks. Yeah, and then you have Rick Solomon in the big blind. I think he just mentally kind of assumed that it was like all in, all in. He didn't have to worry about it, and he picks up his cards like kind of high like this. And then he sees that they're good um, and just kind of quickly is just like, ooh. Um, yeah. And then the TD made a – like I was across from him and I was able to see it. Um, made a ruling that because I was able to see it, the cards had to be turned up, which is, to be honest, just like an awful, awful ruling. And he acted impulsively. Um, there's no need to act quickly. He should have considered it. But he's like, no, turn the card over. Um, and just one of those things – Anyway, whatever. So he shoves, um, and then he has, to, and he has an ace turned over, 
And it was a spot where Fedor told me that he thought he saw the Ace of Diamonds and then the Ace of Hearts gets turned over. When actually, it's a little counterintuitive, but if the guy's range was going to be like Jacks plus Ace, Queen, Ace, King or something, or it's probably tighter than that. Let's say like Jacks plus Ace, King. Seeing the Ace is actually good because you're so much more likely to see Ace, King than Ace, Ace because you want them to have the other pairs. Right. But Fedor ends up using all of his time banks because he wasn't sure if he saw aces or not. Calls. Um, flops flush draw with an ace. So Byron is live. River two outer. Fedor wins, scoops all of the money. And it was just like an unbelievable, ridiculous hand. Yeah, I... I... Those are the ones, too, where it's cr- you see an exposed card of these things that don't really happen or it never really matters, and then you're playing for millions of dollars or, you know, this is, like, the biggest stage in the world, and there you are, and it's, like, this hand, and then you go into the, and now this, like, little math thing or this how you think about it, and, and it just, it's really crazy how it all shakes out, but that's that's a really um, wild hand, guys. You should plug it in. I'm sure you could search Million Dollar One Drop uh, on, on YouTube, and I think Doug even did a hand on this in particular, but what was that like, getting in the money? Because you must must have felt like that that's your biggest score or second biggest four million um one of the biggest that is my biggest um it was wild normally i don't feel uh anxious about playing i'm usually just like excited to go do it i usually wake up early when i'm in vegas so i woke up at like 8 30 and i was like kind of hyped and then I, so like i work out i studied it's still only like 11 o'clock 12 o'clock the tournament doesn't start until five and at that point, I'm like, man, what do I, what do, I do with myself? Like, I study a little more. Yeah. I was just ready to play. The TVs were a thing I wasn't especially used to. Uh, I think it was on ESPN, 30-minute delay or something, which was wild. The Blue Man Group opened. Um, also, just the one – bubbles in particular are really stressful because ICM is such a tough concept that you could really – make a wild punt that's for like an outrageous sum of like you can make a million dollar mistake right in most other cases like what like it's whatever and as far as icm goes the the tools that are currently out there aren't that great at assessing it um so it's there's a lot of guesswork going on and then it's not like you have access to these tools while you're playing uh so that was that is pretty stressful but um Fortunately, I was able to sneak into the money, and there was a double knockout. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. My sister flew out from Arizona to watch me play, which was a special experience. Uh, I love that I got to be on ESPN. Um, I'm very proud of what I do and that I'm great at it. So I'm going to get the opportunity to play on the biggest stage. That's really special. Yeah, I'm looking here right now, the all-time money list. You're ranked number 10 right now, and it is tight up top. I remember when Antonio was number one, and then I remember when Negranu passed him. Now Bonomo is just a runaway train, 44 million lifetime. But, you know, you're right in that mix. I mean, between, let's say, I mean, Ike is playing a lot. Let's say number 13 to number uh six it's very tight or to number seven i mean you're talking 27 seven you antonio's not really playing as much tournaments anymore jason coon you coleman's not really playing anymore do you do you set any goals like is that something are you motivated do you like statistics and numbers and these type of things do you, are you do you have a goal to be number one or one of the top or do you just kind of play like is this something you keep an eye at do you even know that you're number 10 like is that fun for you or or uh does it not really even impact you at all in like 20 20- 14 or so i've had some issues 
with depression in my life. And I, there was a point in my life where I would just keep making higher and higher poker goals. And I kind of just imagined that eventually the success would like bring me joy. And then there was a point, I think in 2014, when I was in the discussion for best tournament player in the world. And it was just like, huh, everything else is still really the same. Um, I, so I tried to be aware that pursuing accolades isn't that important to me. Um, I still love playing poker and competing, but I try to enjoy the process more and uh, the all time money list or the idea of like winning bracelets doesn't particularly matter to me. Um, because I think when I was really pursuing those things, it would be at the expense of the rest of my quality of life. And the past couple years, I've cut down my volume quite a bit. I want to spend more time taking care of myself uh, mentally, physically, more time with loved ones. The So that means I think I am drawing pretty thin to ever make like a number one all time. But I also think for like my overall quality of life, it is a, a good decision. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, Bill Perkins, who is... Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, Bill, well, he played dabbles in the high roller scene, has fun more of a, you know, it's a hobby. Um, he, he's writing the book die with zero, which I don't know if you've caught wind of or saw any, any news on that. And he's done some tweets on it's coming out this year. Pretty interesting concept because it's something I struggle with too. Like I, you know, taking on doing podcasts. I love Twitch. I just had my son. I, I want to play the live stuff. There's all these different things and it's exciting. But like when you start thinking about time and allocation of life and what's really important, you know, I find times where I'm like, man, I haven't really talked to my parents this week. Um, I'm an only child, uh, but with friends or keeping up and it just gets harder and harder. And it starts, you start wondering what's really important. And I do, I think as well with you, Man, Dan, I, I'm, I'm just thinking. There's so many things I want to talk about. I, I hope I want to keep in. I, I want to allocate time for the for the Twitter questions, also Instagram story questions, guys. There's some I'm great ones. Great time. Let's go as long as we need. Okay. Well, well, awesome. Let's keep it rolling. But I, the Burning Man, we haven't even. This is this wasn't even on my list to talk about. This is to me one of the most impactful things in my life. Just Antonio Esfandiari, friend of ours. You know, did the camp, put this together, got me to go four years ago. I ended up meeting my wife walking by in the middle of the desert out of a movie, and then I I was actually. Phil Gruesome, and now we're married and have a baby, a Burning Man baby. Um, it's crazy, but for you, I do remember you also talking. Burning Man was sort of an eye-opening, life-changing experience um, for you, and and I just think it's sort of powerful where it takes in time in life. It's hard sometimes. We need like a, a death, a close person, some kind of jolting, shocking experience to sort of like make us realize what's important or stop and smell the roses and step and, and really think about how we're running around. Are we in a rat race? What's really like you, you touched on it that if you had 25% more money, is your life going to change? What's really important? Like, yeah, you love playing poker. You're great at it. It's fun, but you know, looking at your time and how you're allocating it, you know, as a golden years, I kind of got sidetracked tangent as well. Bill's book writing die with zero, because when you're 65, 70, if you love skiing, you're not going to go skiing at 75 years old, probably, but you might, you can do it now. Like what's important in figuring out things and traveling, and it's going to be harder to travel when you're older and these type of things. So I, again, got tangent here, but talking about what's important and maybe a, um, you, you do a lot with charity as well. Like what's, how, that moment talking about Burning Man or sort of how that eye-opening experience was and what changed for you and, and how you sort of look at time and what's important and how to not get now you see Fedor you see Dan Coleman and guys that are ha and yourself playing less poker a little bit 
respecting like people are like oh how could you stop playing you're winning all the money you're the best player in the world but why are you playing less why are you semi-retired but maybe touch on that a little like how, how that okay. process i'm got still going. playing a fair bit of poker and i still do love it i'm yeah. just like i used to go to every stop um i try to be pretty honest with myself about what's important to me and like i when you know what it is you want to achieve it becomes much easier to do so um I made as my priorities this year, mental and physical health, and I'm with loved ones. So that means sometimes I skip, uh, I skip some big tournaments. Like I didn't go to Montenegro for Triton or I could have played the EPT, some of that stuff. And then instead, um, I went to Iceland for two weeks, that sort of thing. And, um, I went to Japan for 17 days with like a bunch of my closest friends, which was spectacular. Um, I, I think if you know clearly what it is you want, it will become much easier to get up every day and achieve those things. Knowing what you want isn't always easy, but I think it's something that's worth reflecting on because I do think there are people who spend their whole lives pursuing something that's not even like really true to themselves. Um, Burning Man, I would say what I'm really got out of it. Um, going back to some mental health stuff, um, just for a large part of my life, uh, I don't think I viewed myself in a positive way. I had lots of negative thinking patterns, and even I've gone through points when, like, uh, I had like passive suicidal uh, ideations where I didn't like especially want to die, but like I would just have thoughts where it would just be like, like I'd be on a plane and just like, huh? It w- imagine how lucky you'd be if this plane would crash. I just wouldn't have to deal with this anymore, which is. And there's like no real cure for that. Um, I had a moment at Burning Man where I probably took too much MDMA, but I had a, I was like feeling like a tremendous amount of love. And I kind of do think that it was the first time I saw myself in like a truly positive light. Um, Was that 2015 or 2016? I remember I was uh, there with with you. I, I remember this, I think, was it, was it 15 maybe? One of those years, right? 15 It was 2015. Yep, that's right. Um, I just kind of had like the realization that of course I'm a good person and that um, like the things that I've accomplished were special. And um, just, I would say mostly ever since I have been staying in that positive thought pattern where I have, um, I am reminded that I am a good person. Um, and just generally, like most days now I wake up with the expectation that it's going to be a great day and that I'm like excited to take it on compared to waking up when you're depressed and you're just like, everything sucks. What's the point? I, I want to um, interrupt you quickly because it's such a impo- such a big topic and such an important thing. And I think it's, it's interesting to hear people very successful at a high level uh, kind of can relate to the Olympics. This is something I didn't realize until maybe a couple years ago and was talking with, you know, Michael Phelps, obviously greatest Olympian ever. I lived with them for seven years and unbelievable person. He's sort of been taking a role as the ambassador for mental health. And I was just looking at a tweet, you know, he put out about a month ago that he struggled with anxiety and depression and questioned whether he wanted to live or not anymore. And hit the low. He decided to reach out and ask for help. 
to a licensed therapist and it he thinks it ultimately saved his life and you know it's crazy to think of guys and people that not even for any particular reason or whatnot but that struggle with this type of thing and it's so it's very common it's not it's like it's it's also i think at people at the highest level like olympic type things or you're playing million dollar buy-in tournaments for four million ten million and are playing for uh, olympic medals and it's like hard to get back to those highs you know, it's kind of like a drug, like where you're you're like reaching these pinnacles. And then the other days, you know, it's like it's kind of hard to recreate that. And it can be in poker and gaming and gambling as well. There's a lot of there is a lot of low points. And I, and I was told that Olympic athletes in general really struggle with this because they train forever. They have this like peak and then they just kind of don't get back there. And I mean, that, you're talking about someone who wins everything. He was the w- most winning Olympian. What about the ones that don't medal, that don't make the team, that train for four years, that don't don't make the final, you know, don't make a medal. And it, it's very it's a very intense subject and you know hearing you kind of hearing you uh talk about it it's refreshing and you know i think a lot of people can relate to that and it's just something that people really shouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed about at all and i think everyone at some degree has these feelings at times or feels down or feels low um so it's interesting to hear that that you kind of had that epiphany and and how you've handled with it Uh, and I, I, i agree there shouldn't be a stigma um i would get i would say it's probably lessening but but and even if they're shouldn't be that doesn't mean there is or isn't but um right i also do wonder if there is like um i would imagine that people going through this i want if it's it could be a motivator i do believe that almost anything can be a positive like i and i would be surprised if you are like if you are very satisfied with your life i would guess that maybe you are less inclined to like go all out and try to like achieve something that's like once like there's only one michael phelps you know uh maybe it does require like a little like extra push that like the mental anguish maybe it was like a maybe it was an aid in his life but yeah no um, it's 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 a yeah it's a heavy it's heavy stuff i I, there's a question in the chat i want to generally not answer the live questions so much guys you have an opportunity to tweet on twitter or instagram you can post we'll look through these and we're going to allocate some time for that but someone in the chat just kind of bringing up that saying if you have if he has such a high opinion on life someone's asking why are you taking drugs during burning man especially mdma which can be lethal in very small doses i don't think i've ever heard that but um why risk everything for a few hours of joy i mean i guess just talking about drug you drugs in general uh that type of you know, I think moderation in anything is okay, and obviously being responsible in, in certain situations, it's kind of another topic. But um, do you have? I think any- it's a good question. Yeah. Um, I also I don't want to make it seem like I'm out there doing drugs all the time. Exactly. I went to Burning yep. Man <laughs> with the intention of like some serious self reflection. Um, I there are studies that say MDMA could be useful for those with. PTSD. I think it is very possible with the experience that happened to my dad that I had lingering effects in that regard. Um, I would always be very like mindful about like making sure I was taking good things and um, like responsible quantities and this and that. Like doing, but I also think it is a good point. Like these things are there is inherent risk and you have to be careful with it. I think. You could have wonderful experiences on them. Um, not, and they're also not for everyone. I would say be educated, um, be careful with what you take, set and setting. Um, Michael Pollan just wrote a book that I am blanking on the name on psychedelics, but I thought it 
oh, it's called How to Change Your Mind. And if it is something that interests you, I would consider reading it. Um, What's Who's the author? Michael Pollan. How to Change Your Mind. Okay. I'm going to make a note of that. It sounds interesting. You read it or you're reading it? I read it. Um, I, I, I guess going even a little bit further back, um, I think that responsible and like small uses of uh, mushrooms could do good for like depression or various issues. Like at Burning Man, I, I do hear lots of stories of people like saying that they had this baggage their entire life that they were able to remove. Um, yeah, I think it's important to understand Burning, Burning Man and what it's about. And it's it does have a stigma of, oh, it's like people are just there doing drugs, getting crazy. But the reality is, if you don't want to do any drugs or you don't, you won't even see anything unless you want to. You can ask and you could pro, you can get a hold of a lot of stuff, but it's not about that. My wife doesn't even drink. She's gone to Burning Man three years. You know, I met her there randomly her first year. And I might be sober this year. Yeah, it's like it doesn't. It's it's not. It's it's got a weird um, stigma, but it makes sense, right? It's in the middle of the desert. It's like a party festival, and there are definitely things available. But that experience can be can be whatever whatever it is, um, whatever you want it to be. And don't think you need to do that, or that's like what it's about. Uh, Dan, I I, I actually, could totally see myself taking a small amount of mushrooms again in a safe like a in a safe setting. Um, if I'm feeling like a little unsure about like my place in the world, I think uh, psychedelics can do a wonderful job of just reminding you that the world's a beautiful place. Like how crazy it is that like we're alive and we exist. Yeah, and um, I, I even to like the Ferris Bueller, that quote's my favorite one about life moving fast. You gotta stop and smell the roses. You know, I'm guilty of it. I think we all are at times just kind of getting in a ra race. And once you start having kids and other things, it just gets harder and more busy and more crazy. And if you don't like stop, cause actually I read a, a thing that you meditate. Is it true? Do you try, you meditate every day 15 minutes or maybe you said that or you try to? Um, or some, more some or less every day for seven or eight years. That's and I will say this: the biggest thing about meditation, in my mind, is if you can't. Let's just say it's it's hard because I I can't. My mind is I'm all over the place. But if you can't take ten or fifteen minutes out of your day and and find a quiet time to just sit there, whether or not you're meditating correctly or whatever you want to call it, that's an issue. I think if you're so busy and so crazy that you don't actually have a little bit of time to just take for yourself, I think that's that's sort of something to look at because I'm not a great meditator, but I try to do it. I don't do it enough. I say I'm gonna do it every day. I actually did a 10 day meditation course, which I'd highly recommend. You might find interesting. I think, you know, you mentioned Tony Gregg. I, you, I, are you familiar with that? He did that Vipassana where you do no writing, no talking, no reading, uh, no speaking for 10 days. It's been not like very high on my to-do list for a couple of years and I've haven't pulled the trigger I'll yet. Tell it's you intimidating. This. I, I tell you this. I did it with my wife. Um, it was the most profound experience, I believe, ever. And I kind of just forget about this even. But when I did it, we went like, you fly into Dallas. This one was 30 minutes away from Dallas uh, airport. You know, everything's free. You do leave a donation at the end. The food's great. It's very simple. It's men and women separated. But it's like being like MDMA. or It's like being on acid when you get done. Like you're, 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 your whole body and endorphins and everything. When I got out of there, I wrote a... 
I wrote like 30 pages in a journal because and I, I wrote poems. I said, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I had a vision of the stuff I wanted to do. I came out like a like a, a just a firecracker. And it was like so powerful in a million. I, we could feel it like how we it was like the most electric experience. And I and like I could remember memories from when I was a kid, when I was like five years old or two years old, three years old. I remember everything like houses I lived in, rooms I would hide and see. like you just it's 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 crazy. I think you would love it more than anyone I know. I just feel like you would really get a lot out of it. And it's it is it's so hard, though. There's crypto. There's you know, the, the the world now, there's so many stimulations, there's so much stuff going on to actually now, like even this was like three years ago or four years ago now, two years ago, I don't know when I did it, but I can't imagine taking 10 days tomorrow and just being like, all right, I'm gone. Like, it just seems so insane, but I did it and I'm glad I did it. And I would really recommend you trying to carve it out because it is worth it. You know what? Uh, sometime this week, I'm going to look up meditation retreats. I, it's been really high on my list for a long time. I'm going to try to get one in before the end of the year. Uh, you know, the thing is, there are a lot of them. They're in California. There's a beautiful one in Boston. The one I went to is just outside of Dallas. Uh, the, the the company I used, or not company, the place and the thing I did, their mission statement, how it's all donation-based, which is really cool as well. Um, there's no money, no charge for anything there. Uh, I imagine it was challenging at times. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. Like after a day or two or three, it's like you're just like, what? <laughs> you know, and especially it is. It's very challenging. And again, I would ha- I think Tony Gregg might have done a month, which is like, I don't even I mean, that's like that's some crazy level stuff. That's on a whole. I don't even want to fathom what that's like. But I, I believe that's He's a pretty Zen dude. Yeah. But, you know, and it's kind of funny when you start thinking about it. Not funny. It's kind of interesting when you start thinking about it. Who's right or who's wrong? It's like there's got to be a good balance because look at us or people that love fantasy. And I, mean, you're, I, I imagine the same way. You got you buy pieces. You love action. It's fun. You, you're in the mix all the time. You're social. You're doing things. But then, like, look at the Buddhists that are out that just, like, have nothing. And they're, like, the ha- maybe they're the happiest people of all time and, like, just having no... Like just being at peace, and it's kind of like it's really interesting because in my mind I'm like, man, they're crazy. That's insane. Like what you're missing all of life, but they're probably thinking, wow, these guys are nuts. They're on their phone, uh, 24/7, texting, typing, reading. This, you know, my my chat, your chat, MySpace, Discord, Facebook, Instagram. It's just so many distractions and so much chaos that it's hard to really sit back and enjoy. So yeah, I don't think I, there I, is a right or wrong. Right. Um, yeah, there's not. I, I don't think there's there is different. either. Maybe it's like balance. I think that's the key is having balance. I, and- I think going back to Burning Man quickly, what I think is like it's a week where you're away from everything and then you have a chance to reflect on what's really important to you. And I think there are other ways to do it. Um, but just for me, going into the desert and taking some psychedelics is, and then you come out of it being like, OK, these really are my priorities. Um let me segue in that for you because, Dan, two things too. Let me quickly say, I have to really use the restroom. I don't know if you do. So at some point before we take questions, either now or after we talk about your thing, I'd like to take a quick couple, a minute break or so. Um, I don't know if you have to use the restroom, but do you, have, do you want to go now or do you want to do one more thing and then do questions? Do you have to use it or no? I'm okay. You're okay. I'm uh, I'm on that like Twitch grind like hour program. Every hour I have to take a you know the the 55 minute breaks. I'm like I have to go and I'm drinking coffee. I'm having protein shakes, water. I'm uh, I do need to use the restroom here. Let me let me qu- actually. How about we do this then? If you don't need to use it, why don't I segue you into your website and your charity stuff? Because I know all about it. Um, the double uh, double up drive. I want to I'm gonna let you talk about that while I run to the restroom and then we'll take questions um, as well as cover a few more topics. 
topics, but we'll let me uh, let me put the website up here. Double Up Drive, which is is my my opinion. Um, you know the. Uh, our, the reg raising for effective giving also pretty incredible cause i've been involved with done some stuff with each i know i think at bellagio we did a youtube video we have as well with you talking about this and i i did something a little bit with that and it's a crazy number man i mean this is just absolutely insane the amount of money raised and if you could talk about this i'll be right i'm gonna rush back but go ahead and just dive into the double up drive and what that is okay um Five years ago, I, as my New Year's resolution, I decided I wanted to be more charitable and I wasn't entirely sure what that meant. Um, I had seen people at REG, Raising for Effective Giving, do a drive where they match donations and then if you donate, they'll double it. So your $100 becomes $200. Um, I saw that there was a charity called the Humane League, which is for uh, animal welfare. Um, they were there was an anonymous donor that was matching donations so i had the thought okay if i donate twenty five thousand dollars and then i find people to match it on online that becomes 50 and then somebody matches the whole thing so then my twenty five thousand became a hundred thousand and it's even i got the tax write-off so let's just pretend it only cost me eighteen thousand i got a hundred k return that's a ton of money um I did this a couple years, one year, and then again with like Dan Coleman, where we gave people some choices. And then the third year actually inspired from like my really wild Burning Man experience where I like changed the view of myself. Um, I kind of just had the realization that being great at poker, I think would make me much more likely than average to be someone who could make a huge impact on the world, not just on myself. Um, and there was also the realization of like, man, I feel so much better than I did before. I would really love to share that feeling with others. Um, so I publicly donated $175,000. And the hope was that by doing it publicly, it would make a splash, would go viral. I would encourage other people. And it was much more successful than I could ever have imagined. Um, the Crowley brothers, the DFS brothers, um, ended up donating, I think, a million dollars to the causes. Um, and we were able to do a huge amount of matching. And ever since we have been doing the, the collaborating on this drive. So it's no longer just like my project, but this last year there was a team. It was me, Stephen Shidwick, um, Aaron Merchak, who's a DFS player and Stephen Shidwick. Uh, sorry, I think I said him twice. And Matthew sorry, you can mention Stevie twice, man. That's the that's the OG grinder. I remember him back on the days on Stars and winning everything, and on the uh, the sit and goes and and the satellites. And he's been around forever, and just seems like a great guy. He's actually one of the people I probably know the least about. Like I just feel like I've never talked to him. I don't. Seems very quiet, very nice guy, but um, he's he's a shy person, um, becoming less so over time. But once you get to know him and he opens up, he's really special. But anyway, so we uh, collaborated on these charities. We ended up choosing 10. Um, I don't want to get into them too much. If you're interested, go to doubleup.drive.com and you could reach out to me, I'll answer any questions. But just to give an idea of some of the impact. Um, yeah, I'm just scrolling through here, I do see. We, so one of the 10 charities is Strong Minds, which promotes um, group therapy for women in I believe Uganda and Kenya. Um, through our drive, 
there was a very large number of women who were able to get um, therapy. I want to say it was 5,000. So the fact that 5,000 women due to our drive were able to undergo 12 weeks of therapy and it was only one-tenth of our drive, that is just such an unbelievable, impactful thing. And I will just say, if you are at least considering it, there are a ton of studies that suggest that charity and compassion and having like a purpose bigger than yourself is one of the keys to being satisfied and happy and all that stuff. So I think there are plenty of reasons that are in your own best interest to get involved. Um, if you're interested, read up on it, doubleupdrive.com. Absolutely. Well, there you go. There's a list and some some of the causes and some of the charities and check it out. It is a great, uh, great, great causes. And it's really cool to see this much generated and, and this much buzz and, and people involved. Um, malaria, malaria. My dad got malaria. He was in the Peace Corps and he worked. He was in Chad right out of college and got malaria and was over there doing work. And, you know, I know it, it's, it, it is it's amazing sad to think about that too when you mention these numbers about how many people got help or 5,000 people but think about all the people that do not get help and how much abundance and extra money and wealth really there is that's not used and, and stored and you know that, that could be used water for is probably like 399 or something ridiculous you could build, you can give somebody a malaria net for two dollars and I could have just been drinking out of a, a Brita today you know it's 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 yeah it's hard to you know it's easy to get it's hard to think like that though too it's kind of um yeah it's always like you could always do more but i think that's the, the key if everyone does a little bit and and just you know looks to do a good some good stuff it's going to go a long I think way it's important to be conscious of your spending um i totally i live a very lavish lifestyle i travel i eat well i when i travel i take like my loved ones with me so i'm not acting like i'm some sort of monk or anything but I just try to allocate money that I could afford once I like have all of my needs taken care of. And I think you can do lots of good while still living a wonderful life. Um, I think people underestimate the diminishing returns of money. Absolutely. That's true. That's a, that is a very true thing. I see the cowboy hats in the back. Dan, what's going on there? Tell us about cowboy Dan. What's the cowboy hat situation? Um, one of them, I'll grab them real quick. One of yeah. them is from the one and only Doyle Brunson. Um, That's from Doyle? This is Doyle's old hat. Uh, th this is Doyle's old hat. Um, wow. He heard I like cowboy hats and he gave it to me. Um, I, I, as a joke, after I went to Texas, I started wearing a cowboy hat. And then some people were telling me, like, Dan, that's like a real piece of shit. You need to get, like, a proper hat. And Jason Kuhn got me one. It was a beautiful Stetson. And, um, and Doyle was just like, oh, if you like cowboy hats, let me give you one of mine. Uh, so this is that's like nice there's hat. only one Doyle Brunson. Uh, and the fact that he gave me one of his old hats, I think, is unbelievably cool. That and is this cool. is actually more of a little gag thing. But as a birthday present this year, I was given this. Just to light up this. I think this might be making a Burning Man appearance this year. Burning Man? What about the WSLP? Or that's too, too ridiculous to wear to turn on a lighted hat. Would you wear that and play a tournament or no? I totally would. I don't know the right event for it, but I'd be open to ideas. It seems it, can you you can turn the light off though, right? It's like a click yeah. on and off. So yeah, it might be. On. You maybe just have it on when you're all in or something. You can't. I don't think you could go light the whole tournament. That would be too insane. Um, but I like it. Yeah. So guys, listen, Dan, we could pick Dan's brain forever. Dan's got to be there. I love doing podcasts. I think it's really fun to talk to, um, not just poker players, but elite minds and people doing crazy, fun, good stuff in the world. Um, I think Dan, I, there's a, there's, there's a lot of questions. We're already at over an hour and a half here. Why don't we 
Is there any way I could see some of the questions too, and I could like filter out some of my favorites? Yeah, there's um, let's see how we could do that on my Twitter. Uh, I I have it up on the screen, but you could also just go to my Twitter. Um, I am on the Google Hangout page. How do mm -hmm. I get to your screen? Well, let me think. Uh, I can have it up like this, so you could see it. It's just gonna be a slight delay, and I'll scroll down. But or you could pull it up on my if you just pull up my Twitter. Um, Jeff Gross Poker, and then you can look at all the tweets as well. I want to look at Instagram too because I did a swipe up story. That um, let me see. I can just, uh, you know what? I, I will trust that you are. Um, I can screen some questions, and you can always just we can just go to the next one if uh, if you know you, for whatever reason you don't want to answer it. But it, it's uh, I'm trying to get the stories on Instagram. Okay, yeah, we got. Let me do these. Let me go through Instagram ones really quickly just so we can stick to Twitter. Uh, someone and some of these you can just kind of rapid fire because again, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of questions, like over 50. Okay. So let's just, I'll just kind of run through this. Um, so someone asked, "Do you coach at Apt81?" As says on Twi on Instagram. Uh, no, not really. Not really. Someone said, "Help me, please." Um, all right, some some. Uh, Let's see. Is someone saying is trying to understand poker math with a pen and paper relevant or a waste of time? Not sure I really understand the question other than I do know you said early on that was a lot of how you were doing before the solvers and maybe you had a really you had good methods of doing some some studying like that. You, is it is nowadays there's just too many good tools where it's like there's um, something I like, think pen and paper definitely still has its place like just basic probability stuff where you should be aware like okay if you're raising the button to two players and you're like risking the amount that's in the pot with your raise um if they don't each defend uh 30 you'll immediately show a profit on your with your bluffs you know like certain stuff like that i think still is a use and i think if you could do something with pen and paper that shows like a real level of understanding Okay. Someone else asked, what's the biggest stakes you've ever played? We already know that. We've gone through that million dollar buy-in tournaments. What about cash? You dabble in cash. I saw you trying to get a cash game running 100, 200, um, or some These other stuff. These stakes are inflated, but I played 1K, 2K Euro that got doubled and then doubled again. And then beyond that, I've played... Was that during like the one maybe, drop in Europe? Um, it was in Europe at Monte Carlo a few years ago, but of course I only had a tiny piece and yada, yada, but, yeah. uh, same thing for me. I've one, one K, two K, no limits, biggest I played, but same thing, small piece, but still fun. Huge game. Huge really game. fun. Um, and I've played in the vicinity of like five or one K a handful of times. And then a lot of my volume is in the 100, 200, 200, 400 region. Nice. Very nice. Um, Someone asked, "What? Uh, how do you transition from playing with high caliber players to, let's say, the WSOP main event or somewhere where it's they're not as tough? I mean, GTO versus exploitative lead. Like, do you feel you know, like someone like Helmuth is known for being just so good at exploiting in these WSOP big fields and whatnot. But do, where, how, how do you find yourself preparing differently or playing differently? To be honest, I don't really prepare for those other events, but um." I think just being more inclined to go with your gut is important. Like, and just like when I play against great players, I'm like randomizing a lot of my decisions when I'm playing against weaker players, I want to be making the decisions more. So. Absolutely. So, all right, now we're going to go, we're going to jump over to Twitter guys. Again, there's a retweet giveaway. Going to give you a little something at the end. We'll let Dan 
uh, do that, pick the timing on that when it's time for that. But I see you actually answered this on Twitter. This was one of the first ones. Someone said, I love debating about philanthropy. 90% of the time, people are padding the pockets of the people who run the charities in which management keeps 90% to travel the world and maybe 5% leaks down the actual charity. And that's a pretty aggressive take on that. But you did answer it there a little a bit. It is a bad take. I don't like when people use numbers that are obviously unbased on anything. I would say it's pretty easy to find good charities, and I think the fact that there are inefficient ones out there shouldn't be it shouldn't be reflective of it, you know. Yeah, um, I think that's true too, because that's a problem. You start hearing all these pay, these GoFundMe and these other pages, or things are taking a piece and this and that, and then all of a sudden people are like, "Well, f it, I'm just not going to give any money to anything because it's like a scam." And now you're just hurting the whole purpose and overall message. So I think that's very got to be and very also, careful. With that. If this guy wants to talk down on it i think it's like you know what before you're you should be allowed to to hate on something what is this person doing to make uh make things better um yeah you know for sure and i mean again he's he's mentioning about people and flying on private jets and doing these things and of course there is some really nasty stuff out there but that's true for anything you could say that about i would guess it is probably overblown but i will admit i'm not very well versed in the bad charities because i just it's not that hard to find good ones Right. Great answer. That makes a ton, ton of give sense. Well and other like charity evaluators or animal charity evaluators, all great resources. Um, there's people whose job it is that are experts in the field to rate charities. So I would defer to them. Okay. Uh, how often do you play chess a week? Best known opponents from the poker circuit. Yeah. Give us a couple guys that are good at chess in the poker world. And also, yeah. Do you play how often now? I don't actually play that much. Um, a little bit of blitz on the internet, but I definitely play less than once per week. I like playing tournaments, but it's a really big commitment to fly to one. Like the one I played in Iceland was an eight day event or maybe even nine days. Um, it is not a thing I could do, be doing regularly. Maybe I could have been on a meditation retreat instead that week. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, um, I don't play that much. I'll play maybe a couple one day events per year, but uh yeah, I just don't play all that much. And as far as who I've played, that's very well known. Um, I'm, I mean, there's a lot of po- uh, good poker players. Uh, Nikita was similarly good to me, who's now one of the best MTT players. Um, uh, that dude Schwartz, final table to main event a few years ago. Uh, Grishuk is actually a, he's like number eight in the world or something. And he was actually a very, very good and successful poker player. Um, and I guess as a quick, like, best player I've played, I played Fabianu Caruana, who's number two in the world, lost in the world championship on tie breaks. When I was, like, nine and he was seven, I beat him. So I was always hoping he'd become world champion so I could have say I'm undefeated versus the world champ. Well, that kind of counts. I'd still say you could you could almost sneak that in there. It's sort of uh, the case on a tiebreaker. Seems like uh, pretty 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 close. Um, how do you prepare prepare for big tournaments? Give us a little bit. Like, give me. Um, you're playing the I don't know the 300k buy-in. Let's just call it or whatever. Some some sizable tournaments. What is your daily routine ideally on a on a starting day one? Like, do you give me a little bit of a, a routine I go back a few days and i will try to be on like a healthy routine where i'm not drinking too much um just good sleep schedule and all that and as far as like day of i like to wake up a little bit early do some light exercise get the blood pumping um i will definitely meditate um maybe if i know the stack sizes i might do a little studying but uh good nights uh 
most important thing, like good night's sleep, just body feeling physically good. Um, in Korea, I was going in the sauna every day before the tournament. So I would like wake up, meditate, light exercise, sauna, um, another light meditation. And I would go in there and I really do feel like I was like particularly locked in. I like it. No, it's important. It's important. I think at the highest level as well, it's you got to find ways to separate yourself and, and being in a good mental state, the meditation, the working out, those things. It's like people have to understand. You talk about debate as a poker sport or whatnot, but you know, at the, at, the, at the highest level, the little things add up a lot and make a difference. You're putting your body through a crazy thing, like running a big bluff in a tournament, your body's undergoing a lot. You're going through adrenaline. Like you really do have to be equipped to like physically deal with this. It's a, it's a great point. I actually haven't heard it articulated in that exact way, but that makes, it's a ton of sense. You got you people with neck pulsings, these things, it, it's sort of natural, it can happen, but if you're prepared, if you're thinking about it, if you're doing some practice on it, if you're giving yourself the best uh, state of mind, if you're exhausted, you've been drinking, you know, like these things, these these type of spots can matter, a huge difference. One spot, one thing that maybe is gets you a little out of whack could be the difference in a tournament. So yeah, I think that's really um, important way to look at it and, and is true. Um, Great, great point. Basketball or poker, if you must decide for one, what would it be? <laughs> I'm not any good at basketball. Uh, <laughs> I don't so even I wonder why basketball poker. was said. That's interesting. I thought maybe there was something there that you like love basketball, but um, I'm a Raptors fan. They just won, but I mean, poker is one of like the like major loves of my life. Let so. me ask you that. Let's do that. Let's take a game seven or game a playoff basketball game. Doesn't have to be game. Well, there wasn't a game seven. Let's say. Uh, one of the initial playoff games, Raptors, you got courtside or really great seats or like what would it if someone said, hey, like, you know, give me an analogy on where your love is. Like what tournament would you potentially fly to go do and what situation is it comparable for an event that you might want to go? Did you go to any games this season? Or I went to game three and four at Oracle. Um, Raptors won both games, which was dope. Um, oh, so you did go to the NBA finals. Yes. Wow. And I was going to go to game seven if it had gone that far uh, in Toronto. Um, but like, would you have missed what, were there any events you wouldn't have missed that for this summer? If it conflicted the main, I mean, you're there not going to miss the main probably, right? Uh, I try not to be like too analytical about this sort of stuff, but like the opportunity cost of some of these tournaments, like if I could play a big tournament and I, some of these tournaments, if I'm playing like a hundred K tournament with like a 15% ROI, that's $15,000 that doing something else. So I'd have to, it would take like a really special occurrence for me to do something different. Right. What now? Let me let me just uh, quickly ask because I just I was I always like asking the kind of current state high roller crushers. Give me your thoughts a little bit on like a Helmut Negreanu. And again, I'm not looking to stir the pot or whatever. But how, how do you how do you feel about? like those guys type of games that are sort of like the old school guys that are crushers. They got the, everyone, you know, everyone growing up with these guys. Um, like where do you, do you feel in a high roller versus uh, like, let me, let me just say this way without, I'm not trying to stir the pot. That's not my style. I just want to like, who do you think would fare better? For example, like uh, take, we could even do a couple names. So it's not like one or the other. I don't know, say like Negreanu, um Helmuth, or maybe pick another guy that's in that kind of like, poker ambassador elite old school guy that's been around um like how, how do you think they fare versus like the main event field versus like a high roller field because like helmut dabbles negrani plays all the time hard to argue with these guys results but you know, i think you, you've heard a lot of the german crew and people rather than of, results i would be more interested in like talking about like what the market is saying right um I mean, Negreanu offered to bet like 50 players against Helmuth and didn't get any takers. Um, he, 
I don't want to be too negative, but in terms of like no limit, he just can't compete with the top players. Um, right. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things, right? It is. I mean, the game Daniel is much more relevant. Like uh, at, at, he could still compete at the highest level. And I think it is totally possible that someone like Daniel is like a higher ROI in the main event than me, largely because he's such a celebrity. Um, just kind of using the, but the idea and, and... that like, if you're trying, if someone's trying to say that like, Oh, these other players could be winning at the top level. Well, there's like a betting market that would take them up on their action, you know? Right. Interesting. And also just kind of, again, not trying to stir on the controversy, but this, this particularly, I'm sure you're very aware of this situation. It happened recently and I was actually watching at the time on poker go. And I know Ike Haxton took a very strong stance and some other players. And again, just want to understand what your kind of thoughts on it are and why this got to this seemed to be such an it's similar to like the ace king flip over hand but maybe a little more malicious or a little more important in terms of actual decision and future game but the um, the the, the, the mucking of by sam analogy because in the ace king flip over you're hurting yourself and folding out of turn you hugely benefit yourself okay um, but yeah similarly I like it, i thought it looked like a bad acting job um i don't really want to get in get into this but I just thought the initial reaction looked pretty fake to me. Um, right. Chewy was at the table and he said he believed the guy. And I do really love and respect Chewy's opinion, but also Chewy is like the most positive person I've ever met. Yeah, so the like fact that he's like being the good in someone that right. I don't know. Um, I don't especially want to get into this. Fair but, enough. Like I said, I, my, my whole deal, I, I don't, you know, I'm not one of those like clickbait controversy guys i just thought of this because it was interesting and it was with people in that high roller scene it was for big money and if you I, were going to take this angle it is like the perfect spot for it so and i've never seen him like fold out of turn in this way so bay's theorem would suggest that some like it wasn't kosher but uh i don't want to like tarnish the right. dude's name without hard proof but it seemed pretty egregious. Yeah, um, I just saw some of the top pros um, and and respected guys in the high stakes community really come down hard on this. And like, I don't think anything productive could come from you and I talking shit about this. So right. I prefer if we move on. Perfect. That's that's a good answer. I'm, I like that. Peace and love. I'm with you. Um, all right. Have you ever been to Serbia? That's a easy yes or no. It's a random. I point. have not, but I I would like to. Okay. Um, what do you think about luck in poker? Do you think success as a poker player was inevitable for you? I think I was going to have some degree of luck due to natural abilities. Um, I don't know what percent of the time I would make it as like one of the biggest names in poker. Um, luck is obviously pretty relevant, especially as a tournament player. Maybe less impactful on your career uh, and if you play cash games. Okay, that's a, that makes total sense. I'm skeptical. So, Lady Floppy, thank you for the comment here, longtime supporter. I'm skeptical to believe that someone does something good without earning something in return. Although I also believe that there are good people in this world in these times that is that is also rotten. It must be difficult to do charity. Um, kind of not really a question there, more of a statement, but do you want to touch on that a bit? Because I think this is part of the interesting conundrum and what's going on with charity and current events. Like people just seem to always think there's some angle or malicious will in general. Like the times have gotten pretty wild with news and stories and you, you hear so much bad negative things that it's easy. To get I think intentions are very overrated. Um, 
if someone wants to donate money to charity to feel better about themselves or feel like they have meaning or for whatever, like someone talking shit about like people who give to charity, they're doing that. So other people like laugh at that and they can t together feel good. And that result is that maybe the person giving feels worse. If somebody gives money to charity publicly and feels better about it, the net result is that like someone will literally not die or not be depressed or have a malaria net or like something really impactful. So I always thought the idea of like, oh, they're doing um, they're doing it for this other reason. Like, so what? Uh, we're not saying that we're doing it to be some sort of saint. Uh, if you are doing it to feel good and you accomplish that, that seems like a great result. Um, I've always thought that was a pretty silly argument. Um, okay. And if you, yeah. I don't know. I like it. I'm with you. I think it's important to talk about though, because I think sometimes hearing these type of things out loud, it can just kind of trigger something for somebody and, and realize like it, a statement might might not make total sense or think about what they're saying when they say it. Um, best memories of poker? Winning the WPT was very special. Um, main events are big for obvious reasons um i don't know if you can see that but i still have the trophy in my apartment nice which one was that that, that was wbt five diamond uh at bellagio um december 2013 that was very special um also i would have the one drop uh the one drop that i chopped in the 100k um it was probably my biggest ever personal day given I had like a nice size piece of, uh, of that tournament and I cashed for like $3.4 million. Uh, so I would, I would have those two, one and two and in both parts. Like I had my, uh, friends were there. It was just very special. For sure. Um, I, this is from me. I just, before I forget to, I always like to give obviously cryptocurrency in this market and digital uh, blockchain, all this stuff. I don't like going, talking too much on it for a bunch of reasons. And also it's kind of a rabbit hole, but do you overall think that that's like the future? Do you feel that cryptocurrency blockchain is going to take over? Do you, do you feel strongly one way or the other on it? I don't know shit. Um, I know some smart people who are like essentially betting our life savings. I would consider smart. Uh, it is probably worth a small bet. I would guess that most people in the space are irrationally over leveraged. And I think it's like an interesting phenomena that some of the smartest people I know and some of the dumbest people I know are super all in on crypto. So it's a little worrisome, but interested to see what happens. Uh, uh, it is interesting. It is interesting because of that exact point. People that may have had come into some Bitcoin or trading because it's pretty popular for you know on the internet and people doing swaps and different things and getting a hold of it and different different points of entry. It's it's like Kelly Criterion. Let's say you should have three to seven percent, five percent of your net worth maybe, and that's probably even a little bit depending. But then people all of a sudden that at different points might have had like ten percent or something now becomes fifty or sixty percent of their net worth. And then you know something interesting, Bill. Perkins also I mentioned him a couple times, but drops a lot of interesting life lessons and stuff. He used to trade. Um, well, no, he does trade, but on, on his fund and they would have hundred million dollar days and they would like, he was, he was mentioning, it's kind of like this in online poker too, until you actually like pull the money off or take it down. 
it's not really real. So I think that's like a lot of the case. Like if you had someone who like came up huge in crypto, they cashed it all out. They would not be very inclined to put it back in. Like Bill's fund used to make them cash out every deal. And then if they wanted to put more in, cause it's so easy to say, ah, leave, leave it, F it, like let's run it or whatever. But really, if you think about it and you broke it down, it's probably not smart. If you come up big and you're just like, ah, hopefully it goes well, to hundred K. I don't want, uh, I don't, I'm an expert in some things and crypto is definitely not one of them. So I kind of don't think, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but I will just say that does make sense, except you're triggering a taxable event, which is not a great, great thing then. Yes. Like the taxes are true. a real concern. True too, true too, fair enough. All right, just like to, again, one of those kind of always like to just mention, cause it's sort of a hot topic. Uh, everyone's always like, so it's so funny to me to see people in the crypto, uh, you know, and they'll put post stuff when the average crypto's really down, all the haters and people don't like it, like, oh, of course it's shit. And then when it's up, everyone just gets all excited and like, oh, it's the best. So it's a, it's a very bipolar, um, <laughs> subject and, and right now it's in a little bit of a surge uh we asked what moments when the moza what did what did it feel like when you won your first million i guess that's maybe two different things like technically winning a million or also becoming a millionaire maybe um is there was there any was there a feeling of a monetarily moment that was like that because i guess those are different things too right but it was there a moment um, where you were like, all right, like I'm secure. Cause even along your run, there's points where like all oh, stuff's in play, depend this taxes, I got to use money for playing. Like, was there a moment where you kind of crossed over and were just like, all right, I'm good. This is fun. Let's have, let's relax. Uh, winning Aussie millions was like really wonderful. I've been trying live tournaments for a while and it was like a big breakthrough and a million dollar score is wonderful. Um, no personal financial things like really struck me as like uh oh wow um right he, uh, to be honest even that realization that like winning the super high roller bowl wouldn't have changed anything that, that was a uh, it was a one of the more profound like oh wow even winning this tournament wouldn't have changed anything so maybe i'll say that but no and mostly no major financial goals or feelings of like everything's different now um Someone was asking, okay, that's great. Someone was asking, last year you got third in the 50K uh, mixed games. Someone's asking me about the mixed games. What's Have you been playing more of that? What do you think about that? I have played almost none since last year. I played the 1,500 eight game and I'm in cash, but uh, I, I, living in the U.S., I just don't really have an opportunity to play. And even like the live games, they're so often playing like these pretty brutal mixes of like, these slow games like Bedusi, yeah, Bedusi, adding variations of it, and that, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like if I could play mid, like mid stakes eight game live, I would play and get in some practice. But that's not really a thing that's available. Right. Yeah, I got a piece you in something. Right. The fifty k. I think Evan, met your buddy, our, our guy uh, Pander, we bought a little. What's that? What yeah. was the fifty? Is a players championship, right? Yep. It is next week, the twenty fourth. All right, I'm in action. I think I owe you 5K as well, so we'll, uh, I'll be I'll see you in Vegas when I get back out there. And I got a good feeling. Just got just seems like just just seems like a good summer to do well. Um, what all right, I mentioned this. What are your opinion on HUDs? How party poker is dealing with them? You didn't seem like you had too big of an opinion. We did touch on this, but this is a question. I think the it is not nearly as big of an issue as people make it out to be. Um, yeah. Okay. What does it mean for you to be a philanthropist? Um. I'm going to define philanthropist real quick into Google. Just, <laughs> I, um, I think poker is an inherently selfish game where for me to win, somebody has to lose. 
And I think there's something nice about the idea of being able to like leave the world a better place than you like came into it. Um, and in terms of like personal satisfaction, like looking back on your life, I think there's like no chance that a regret is that I like changed the world doing charity stuff. So um, I think it, uh, I wouldn't even know if I would like consider myself a philanthropist. Uh, I just try to do some good. I threw um, that in the title. It's true. It's kind of a it's kind of an interesting term to 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 say or use. But I think anyone who's doing something positive and good and taking initiative to to do is uh, it's very important and not doesn't happen enough. And I think we all could do more really if we. Um, it, it, yeah, I think honestly, the thing about philanthropy to me would be it's about time. You know, it's like I think in, in everyone, there's only so much time. Family, friends, playing poker, studying, learning, traveling. It's like I think that's a, a finding a time or a way that you can do a charity in a good way that's that, that you know is doing good. Everyone would kind of want to do it. Um, it's just kind of finding you know without having to. It's not even so much the, the giving process. It's understanding the researcher of like saying, oh, is this really good? And that getting rid of that feeling of which is why I think the drive has been so successful where yes. make it as easy as possible for people to get involved that's that's the thing that's the biggest cog or block i think is that exact thing finding a way to simply quickly trustingly do something good and that's that's huge guys so again check out doubleupdrive.com that's dan site we're getting to our last couple what's your opinion about twitch poker people seem to like it um i mostly i've never watched anyone so not much of an opinion Fair enough, but you th- do you think in general content like YouTube? I see. I saw Ike actually make a statement about like Twitch, YouTube, someone doing a vlog live, slowing down the game. I could understand how that's tilting, but you know, also at the same time, I think it's very important for the growth to have some type of vlogging. And I think it's a fine line, right? If you're doing it respectfully, you're not slowing down the game, you're not distracting. It's one thing, but if you're there, you know, and, and I could get how Ike in particular would be bothered. Um, you know, someone maybe taking down the HPH hands per hour, taking down your hourly and being disrupt, disrespectful, disruptive. But overall, I would imagine, well, what, what if is you're enjoying it and people like if you're enjoying it and you're not harming anyone, like, of course, go do it. Um, yeah. OK. Yeah. I, I just be respectful of people's time. But I have never had anyone whom I thought was like. Like I've, I've never had my experience worsened because of like uh, vlogs or whatever. Um, I think it's probably a good thing. Um, I'm not involved in that at all, but people seem to do it and people make a living at it. Like good for them. Fair enough. Um, that, yeah. Uh, this is for laughs. Someone asked, do you think Jeff is a better player than you? Um, I would probably say I'm a little bit of a better player. I like no it. disrespect. That, that was kind. I would, uh, it's poker is very humbling. It's hard to ask. You start comparing apples to, to apples and insane but yeah you know i think we can just dance top 10 mtt all-time earner although i do divert my attention to some other um areas and in, in, in different things yeah i think safe to say dan uh i like dan i like dan's chances and and he's playing million dollar buy-in tournaments so um good to, we are gonna ask that still someone asked do you still play online i'm gonna answer that for dan he said he plays occasionally goes doesn't really put it on his schedule but it's not like you'll never play just it's not really a thing you're not doing it not doing it regularly correct perfect great and uh last one jonah g wanamaker saying what's your elo on chess i guess that's your score right i don't know if what's that stand for on chess.com um, it's a rating system my face-to-face rating is around 2100 um which is like the online ratings are a bit inflated but uh 
Could I beat I you in chess? Uh, what percent is luck in chess versus poker? Like, you know, heads up poker, whatever, in a format. If the, the, even against someone who's maybe never played, they have a chance they could go all in every hand and still be whatever percent. But in chess, like, are you just going to dismantle? Could Someone almost couldn't win, right? A beginner with basic understanding couldn't beat you, or is it possible? Like, if, like, on, like, uh, it would never happen. Like, I would have to have, like, a heart attack. And like not finish the game. Right. So nothing zero or a hundred, but it's about that. It's close to a hundred. So there you go, guys. There it is. All right. Well, Dan, I appreciate it so much, man. This is a, this was a treat. We got around right around two hours. I do. I am going to do a retweet quickly. Just, we have a little, you know, promo thing. We'll, we'll copy it. I'm going to let you tell me when, and then we'll, you know, again, this is a, I enjoy this a lot. I think it's, it's a lot of fun and I hope we get a, a chance to do this again sometime. I mean, this is a relatively new podcast. I think you're number 25. Is your son coming to Vegas? What's that? Is your son coming to Vegas? Uh, that's the issue. That's the thing. He's about two months old on the 22nd. He will be. And we're debating. I, I don't know. All, I've heard different things. I know it's a little young to fly. Um, also, the climate, not ideal. But I would I would love that. And I'm still in the works. I I'm kind would of, love to meet him. But, yeah. of course, got to be a good dad. I, the desert does seem rough. It's... It's it's rough and it's it's more so just like the young age and whatnot and a routine. But um, yeah, man, that would be great. I would love you to meet him. He is a Bernie Man baby after all, so that's uh, you know you got, he's he's got a little more uh, yeah he's he's got a little extra pep in his step. He's it's a special feeling. Um, all right, I'm gonna do this. We're gonna draw. So go ahead, Dan, and tell me when and i am going to take the retweet guys thanks for all your questions someone's going to win a ticket from party poker Poker. Uh, i'll just i will say stop you're you're saying roll it yeah we're rolling here we go someone is winning the ticket we got a winner d nice holy shit my man right there long time supporter my man high energy and he is gonna win we rolled it and he's got the ticket coming dennis sanchez appreciate you man thanks for always being here and supporting and dan smith ladies and gentlemen legend check him out again last time i want to run through we're gonna go through his website you got to go doubleupdrive.com, Dan Smith on Twitter, Dan Smith on Instagram, Dan Smith Holla. Is it what's dansmith.com or Dan Smith? DanSmithHolla.com, Dan Smith Holla on Twitter as well. There it is, guys. You heard it all. Dan, thank you so much. Great luck in the tournaments. I'll see you in Vegas and we'll play some racquetball someday. We still got to play. I know we You're haven't got kick that in. Again, but I'm looking forward to it. We'll do it. We'll, we'll get it in there. We'll get a sweat. So, all right, Dan, appreciate you, man. We'll see you soon. Really, really do appreciate it. It was great. All right. Talk soon, guys. That is Dan Smith again. Give him a follow. Support him. He's a great, 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 great guy. Great tournament player. Great poker player. And uh, nothing but positive words. And a fellow Burning Man um, member that we have done a lot of lot of stuff with over the years. I've, I've always liked to spend time with Dan. We don't get to do it enough. So that was a treat. And uh, I hope you enjoy the next podcast. We'll be with Fedor Holtz, another million-dollar um, fire, and it'll be a fun, fun time. So we'll see you guys soon. That'll be on the 25th. And I hope you have a great day. Be safe, be positive, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.